Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, and I'm joined today with Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Is that all you got to say today, Pete? Uh, that and I'm super excited for our guest today because I've been in Blue Shift all day. How about that? That That's a little foreshadowing. That's what we call that in the biz, ladies and gentlemen. I'm also joined today with Phil Fariska. Welcome back, all you honorary fueligans. I've, I've noticed that's your new catchphrase. You, you finally settled on what your catchphrase is. I like it. I like he's, it. he's got a little bit of a Carol Baskin sound to it, to be honest with you. I, I'll be honest, I don't know who that is. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Uh, <laughs> it's it's from the uh, the cancer of Netflix, known as... Uh, oh, is, is that that really terrible Tiger show that no one yeah. should be watching because it's awful? Is that what you're talking about? That's the one. All righty. We're also joined today by Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho. We, that's the tried and tested welcome from Melissa. Hasn't changed in probably 100 episodes. Have yeah, to go I, think back and been, chat. I think since Misha left, it's been howdy ho. Probably so. Channeling your inner South Park. I love it. Yes. Uh, but we're also joined. Pete already kind of ruined the surprise, but we're joined today with a special guest star. So joining us from our friends at Blue Shift is Josh Francia. How are you doing, Josh? Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Uh, it's great, great to be on the show, and uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, figure out how to handle five kids in quarantine. So that's always fun. <laughs> but uh, it's it's going well. Yeah, five kids, all of a young age as well. Your oldest is how old? My oldest is nine, and then I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and then twin, almost two-year-olds. Yeah. So, oh my. You know, oh, wow. Heading, heading into five weeks of quarantine, I think we're all testing the limits of our uh, patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That, that is crazy. I got two, and they're, they're, one's a teenager, one's a, a tween, and they're big enough pain in the butt. But having five that, that young, holy cow, I can't even begin to imagine. But not only are you an expert at parenting – you're also an expert at marketing with a 20-year pedigree. Um, you've been been to a few of the, the some names that people would recognize in an in- industry. Uh, folks like Priceline, you were there for a little while. What was your role there at Priceline? Yeah, at Priceline, I was there for about 10 years. Um, it was a fun ride. So I was I did a lot of marketing, a lot of product. Um, back then, we didn't call it product. You called it um, producing <laughs> back yep. then. And in the early 2000s, um, we were there, I was there when we, when we acquired Booking.com and Kayak and a few other travel companies. And so it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity to be there. Most of it was focused on marketing, um, CRM marketing, paid media, and, and those types of things. Yeah. And then you, you had a little stint at LendingTree as well. That's right. Yeah. I spent a few years at LendingTree, uh, you know, doing, again, um, a lot of marketing, a lot of paid media, um, and those types of things. And it was great. It was a different industry, but a lot of the similar challenges. Gotcha. And then you found yourself with our, our friends at Blue Shift. So how, how long have you been there and what's your role now? Yeah, so I've been at Blue Shift for just over a year. I actually found Blue Shift when I was at LendingTree. Um, we were looking for a new CRM platform for a lot of our you know high volume type campaigns. I did a research of 30 different companies to, to help us. And Blue Shift was one of those companies. 
Um, they won the business and, and we, we used them for about two years. And I was so impressed with what Blue Shift could do for LendingTree. I actually reached out and said, hey, I, I want to help other people. Uh, do the same things that we did and help more marketers, you know. And so it just so happened they were also looking for a, a head of marketing and 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 at that same time. And so so it worked out well. And I've been now at Blue Shift for over a year. Gotcha. So it's it's kind of like what was that old brand? Was it Remington? Where the guy used to say, "I liked it so much, I bought the company." So you're, I liked it so yeah. much, I joined the company. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people make the joke that hair club for men, which I actually prefer you to Remington, but the hair club for men is like I'm not only a president, I'm also a client type of <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but so Blue Shift, uh, let me explain to our audience the relationship here between Blue Shift and Fuel. So a lot of you that, that listen know we're in you know we're hotel marketers and we have a bunch of hotel software. So we have. Uh, uh, super mobile friendly booking engine, the mobile app and digital key and our analytics dashboard. But our other product that we, we talk about some on the show and that has had a lot of success over the years is a CRM product that is AI powered. And we, like you, Josh, spend a lot of time kind of looking for the right partner to, to create that product and to piggyback on. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We wanted someone that had already kind of figured out a lot of the, the, the technical side, especially the AI side. So we, we probably looked at about 30 different part, potential partners as well and, and settled on Blue Shift. We've been working with Blue Shift hand in hand on our product for a little over two years now. And um, it's just been phenomenal. And, and we really appreciate the partnership. But more importantly, we really like how it's, you know, being able to help a lot of our property clients maximize the value of their data so that's that's what we're going to be talking about today it's not an infomercial by any stretch because you could really do a lot of this or at least to some degree you can do this with any platform uh you know if you're struggling with the, the crm platform you are using then obviously your friends here at fuel would love to to help you out and you can always email us info at fueltravel.com if you want a demo or you're interested in learning more about the, the features within our ai powered crm product but you know, we're going to go through today how you can leverage, and, and Josh came up with four ways to drive growth and increase engagement through the recovery period with your guest data by using a, a CRM and, and adopting some best practices. So that's going to be the topic today. But as always, before we jump into the main topic, we're going to go over to Pete and see what's going on in the news news. All right. Well, with good news, that'll shake your blues. Here are the fuel agains with the news aroos. What? That is another uh, one. What are you shaking? <laughs> I, I, I want to stick with the good news theme for shaking my, your uh, blues, Melissa. My embarrassing little oh, blues. Yeah, I heard a different word. <laughs> I don't even want to ask what word you heard, but no, we're going to shake some blues okay. with the news aroos. With good news that'll shake your blues. Here's the fuel agains with the news aroos. Wow, that is quite genius, right there. Did you workshop that all week, Pete? I did. I had my kids and my wife and all. We uh, whiteboarded a couple ideas and we, we baked them out. But uh, wow. but no, they actually just came up a few seconds ago. But I think good news is important. We're we're dealing with obviously the COVID pandemic, and when there's good news, we want to shout it from the rooftops. So, do we have some good news this week? We do have some good news this week, and it is sourced from Forbes.com talking about Disney opening up potentially as early as June 1st, which I think is fantastic news. 
and that is both the Florida and California locations. Yeah, so we've talked about this on the last couple of episodes that we feel here at Fuel that like the mainstream media and just the the psyche of the country and maybe the world has has kind of taken a turn over the last several days. And we've gone from that kind of bombs are falling panic mode where everyone was just clamoring to survive to now people are beginning to think about recovery, beginning to look forward and, and, you know, try to figure out what what's next and try to figure out what the timeline is. So so I think over the next few days, weeks, we're going to start seeing more and more of these uh, kind of lines in the sand, if you will. Now, keep in mind, there's a good chance some of these might shift, but at least we're having the conversation. And I think that's that's really the takeaway here, that we're beginning to look forward to recovery versus being so focused on on what was going on right this second. So yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, any of you guys are going to clamor to go straight to a theme park right away for me cruise ships and theme parks might be on the back burner for just a little bit but you know it's a good thing because when this first started happening a lot of people were speculating that universal disney and other major theme parks were going to be closed for the entire summer there was rumors that they had let their entire college staff program go which means there'd be no one to work the quick service food places no ride attendants and whatnot and seeing that they're looking toward june really is kind of a bright light at the end of the tunnel that we might be getting back to some normalcy relatively soon for us yeah and i think it's obviously going to be somewhat um, adjusted from it's a new normal then they're, they're not going to just open back up and have massive crowds they're obviously going to have to make some adjustments related to pr- procedures and policies and maybe have caps in terms of the number of people that are allowed and there's a good chance the government might even mandate that they can't have more than a certain threshold of people in inside the park at, at any given time so you know there's a there's a lot to figure out but i think the takeaway here is certainly uh, that that we're at least looking forward and, and trying to plan for for the day when things do get back to somewhat normal. So, oh, I I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, Disney's always a um, an inspiration for especially for marketing folks. But you know, just to see what they do with with their operation and and like you said, Stuart, maybe maybe limiting things. Um, how they how they change up their day to day operations may give you some inspiration for for what you should do at, at your property. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna certainly address the fears that are gonna exist and in, in things like touch points that multiple people are gonna be interacting with are gonna be adjusted. How the the staff interact with the guests is gonna be adjusted. How you wait in line is probably gonna be adjusted. So they're definitely gonna make some policy changes. And you're right. I think we can all learn a thing or two from them and the way they they go about it. But it's it's good to take them to see them taking such a, a leadership role in this. They they were very quick and, and it surprised a lot of people in, in how quickly they shut down. And it's good to see that they're one of the first to come out and say that they're planning to reopen as well. Um, I tell you what, they're running some fantastic deals right now, especially if you're someone like Josh that has five kids, they're running, uh, they're throwing in their meal plan right now. If you book, uh, if you stay at a Disney property and go to the theme park for multiple days with the family, you can get the meal plan included in your price right now, which is going to save you a ton of money. It's the most aggressive deal they've ever offered. So 
<laughs> yeah, that is good to know. We'll have to file that away. Yeah, very attractive. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I've only ever been to Disney once with the kids. We've not been to Universal, and it's something that's definitely on on our list before they get too old. So, is now the right time? I mean, if, if Disney are taking all these precautions, if Universal are taking all these precautions, and the and the pricing is so attractive, and and I know that a lot of people aren't going to be there. It might be the shortest wait times ever available in the history and if i get great value at the same time then then it would be crazy not to take advantage of that offer so i mean stay stay tuned for more info on this but this is definitely something to keep an eye on all righty so that's the good news of ruse with the brand new ding- jingle pete you have set an expectation that we're going to have a new jingle every episode now so oh, that- i look forward to disappointing you the best i can every time <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've been disappointing folks for 146 episodes, so why would we stop on episode 147 or 148? So, but maybe we won't disappoint people today because we got Josh and he is never a disappointment. So let's jump into the topic. We're talking about how to leverage your data and your database and your CRM in the recovery process, how to maximize engagement. I know, Josh, this is something near and dear to your heart, something you've spoken about at a lot of different conferences and events. So let's just jump right in with number one, 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 one. Leveraging your first party data. Yeah, this is a, an interesting one where, you know, most most companies have quite a bit of data about their customers, specifically travel companies. So the challenge isn't capturing customer data. The challenge is making it accessible when you need it. And so generally that data lives in a variety of different systems that don't always talk to each other and don't make it really easy for the end marketer to be able to pull out the information they need to make uh, appropriate uh, campaigns to, to their end users. So really it's leveraging your first party data. We have such rich data and a lot of it is just being unutilized to its full success. Pull it all together and unify it into one, you know, single view of that customer it really can unlock a lot of possibilities. And if you think about, you know, the hotel and, and travel industry in particular, there's a lot of data that kind of falls into two buckets, right? You have like the reservation booking data, and there's a lot of rich data there, you know, the room types they purchase, the price, the length of stay, um, you know, the guest names, all that kind of stuff, post-day surveys. And then you have the browsing data. This is, you know, what are they looking at? What filters are they looking at? When are they, um, what properties have they viewed or favorited? You know, have they clicked on emails? Have they opened certain emails with subject lines? Um, you know, how long they spent uh, reading different pieces of content? So all of that data, you know, needs to be coalesced into these unique profiles for you to make a lot of sense of it. And, you know, we, we did a recent study where we interviewed about 500 B2C marketers and we found that the ones that, that we found about half of them don't store data on one platform. So they have data everywhere. And, and 59% of the marketers that do end up exceeding their revenue goals, they fall into that, that group that actually do store their data on one platform. And conversely, we found that 38% of marketers that miss their revenue goals have all this fragmented siloed data. And so just getting data in one spot actually can really help you just do your job better and make it make it easier to do your job as a marketer because marketers want to, to be relevant in their messaging. And without all that rich data that you have, uh, sometimes you're off. You just don't know what your customer really wants. Um, and so it makes your marketing a lot harder. 
Yeah, and I would say that the the data is probably you know you, when you ask the B two C marketers, it w- it was across multiple industries. If you look at hospitality, it's notoriously bad uh, because of the the legacy systems that a lot of hotels are, are dealing with. That the, the data is so spread out across multiple systems. Either you have a PMS that makes it hard to access the data, or you're using multiple different softwares for different components of interaction with the guest, whether that's your POS, whether that's your, your CRM, whether that's your, your channel management solution. So this this is a real challenge facing the industry. So the, the way we solve it here is leveraging the, the data activation platform within BlueShift, we basically throw every piece of data into a NoSQL database and create these really robust 360 models of each guest profile. And we're, we're looking at this this data, we're looking at you know when they stayed, who they stayed with, what they searched for, what packages, what, what they've responded in surveys like Josh said. But we're also, and this is the part that I think people are really missing out on, is that behavioral side, we're looking at did someone just come back and start searching again? And people do that at a very rudimentary level would say shopping cart abandonment say they come and make a search and then they they'll, they might get an email trigger to say hey come book that stay you were looking at but it can go beyond that it can look at what specific articles or content they're looking at you know if we know that someone right now is coming to my site and really paying attention to what your sanitation policies are related to COVID-19 then maybe you can trigger a message to them that really helps eliminate some of the, the fear and reassures them that what you're doing is, is going to protect them when they do come and stay with you. So, yeah, I love this point. It's something that's really often overlooked. And it, it's really, you know, it, it's complicated to, to solve, but it's not difficult. If you start by just mapping out what data you have on each guest and where it's stored, you can then go through a process of trying to figure out, okay, where where can I exchange data between these systems and where can I house this into a single platform? And if you don't have a platform, if it's not your PMS, if it's not your current CRM, then again, give us a shout because we have a platform where you can store all that data in a single place. The other thing I mentioned as well is from the from a hotel's perspective, like you said, we're notoriously fragmented in terms of our data storage, but we're also a lot of times behind the curve in terms of just straight up email delivery and integrating all that data into your messages. And I think that's very important that, you know, when you're looking at blue shift or any other, any platform that's out there, understanding that in, in, the, in this specific case of blue shift, their experience in retail has a lot of power for a hotelier to use those same tools, use the, you know, the, the predictive aspects of it making sure that you're using all the personalization you can you know putting all the tools that are available at your platform together and actually working them is going to have an incredible performance boost for you with the messages you're already sending yeah but it starts with clean data it starts with knowing what you know and having it accessible and usable and so you can activate it in one single place all right so let's jump into number two 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 Use AI to uncover valuable insights. Yeah, you know, AI really works, right? There's a lot of different forms of AI, but the AI that's for marketers that's most interesting is the prediction form of AI. And, you know, how can you predict the future based on past events? 
And so, you know, there's four different types of AI that that we have found that marketers really can get a lot of value from. Because at the end of the day, the, the holy grail of marketing is knowing who to, to target, what is the right message to send to them that will resonate, when is the right time that they're actually going to take action, and where is the right channel that they're most likely to, to respond to you. And so if you can use you can use AI to actually answer all those questions for you, which makes your life as a marketer far easier. And so, you know, one one piece of AI or a couple of AIs that we have around prediction is predicting segmentation, which is really predicting the chance of some event occurring in the future. So if you think about hotels, for instance, wouldn't it be amazing if you were able to predict who's most likely to purchase in a period of time in the future? And so it's very easy to say, hey, who's most likely to purchase and book the next 30 days? And this would change how you go to market and how you would change. You would, you would address those people that are most likely to book um, in different mediums, different ads. You'd spend more money on those people. And conversely, the people that were less likely to book, say maybe 40% chance or lower, you may not send, spend as much money on advertising. Maybe you don't send as many emails to them right now. And you adjust it because you're using this predictive score to, to help you figure out who to target um, and who's most likely to respond. And once you get that person who's likely to respond, then you have to make sure you're giving them something compelling to respond to, right? Like, you know, each person responds to, to content in different ways and content can be, you know, long form content. It can be offers, it can be deals, it can be literally hotel listings. But the idea is instead of just using rules to figure out which content to show to a customer, why not let the AI figure that out? Why not the AI figure out everything they've been doing on the website, everything they've been clicking on in emails, every subject line they've been opening, and figure out what content is most likely to get them to respond? And you know, a couple of our customers, as Stuart mentioned, we have several customers um, that are outside of travel, and one of our customers is a rental, an apartment rental company, and they started using these predictive recommendations to recommend different content and emails and Zumper, and the company is called Zumper, and they saw a 128% increase in click-through rate just by using these predictive recommendations. And so we see that all the time, like using these recommendations of email on your homepage, a mobile app can really influence uh, response. And then it gets to when, right? When's the right time? We all kind of operate on semi-autonomous schedules, although maybe with the, the coronavirus, those have been altered to some degree. But, you know, it's most important to figure out you know, if you're in the get dinner ready mode or help the kids with homework mode and a message comes in that says bye, 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 there's very little chance you're going to, to, to break your mode and, and go and do something right then. And then when you finally get into I need to plan my vacation mode, um, it's unlikely you're going to remember that what happened. Right. And so what if you could figure out when plan by plan my vacation mode is for every customer? And send them messages during those times. Imagine that you're on, you're on, you know, you're sitting with your your husband or wife. You're figuring out, hey, what, where, when should we go for our family vacation? And instantly, an email pops up that says, hey, you know, save all this money on this trip if you book in the next, you know, few hours. That would really drive a lot of behavior. And we've seen it. We've seen it. Uh, Lenny Tree, where I work, used to work, is still a, a customer of Blue Shift, and they changed it on some of their financial related trigger emails. They said instead of just sending it when you know they think is a good time to send, let's let the AI figure out for each customer when's the right time to send it. 
And so they did that and they noticed a 35% increase in revenue when they used that predictive engage time. So they figured out that we got the who, we got the what, we got the when, and the last one is where. And this is a relatively new feature we just released. And we're one of the few that do this um, in, in the entire industry, but we've actually predicted likelihood of engaging on specific channels. So we give people now a, a score between zero and 100% how likely they are to respond on email, on mobile, on a mobile app, mobile in-app, um, push notifications and, and SMS text messages. And so if you know that certain customers have an 85% chance of responding on email and only a 10% chance of responding on text, you probably shouldn't be spending, sending too much text messages to them. And you can alter your marketing that way by knowing where their preferences lie and the probability of those preferences becoming reality. Yeah, and this this is, I mean, we're getting into ultimate personalization to the individual. This is what we consider one-to-one marketing, letting the, the power of AI predict for each person what is most likely to be the right lever or button to pull or push to get them to perform an action. But I think where, where this is really important right now, especially in recovery, is we've been having a lot of conversations with our partners over the last couple of weeks about what is the appropriate time to start really pushing deals and offers to, to the consumer right now. And, and it's, it's, it's a struggle, right? No one has the, the playbook for what's going on and no one really knows the answer. But what we do know is we're going to adversely impact deliverability on email if we're sending too frequently or sending the wrong type of message because the way Gmail and other email service providers work now they really take a hard look at how people interact with the messages. So if I'm on Gmail and I receive your your email from your hotel and I don't open it or I immediately close it or I click, heaven forbid, I click this is spam, then that's going to have a knock-on effect to other people. And if enough people are not engaged or enough people are complaining that it's spam, my email might, may not even be shown to a large chunk of my database. So it's really imperative in the world that we live in today that we're being really relevant to each individual, that we're really taking the time to figure out what value proposition we're offering in every message we send, and then we're not just spraying and praying and, and hoping that it's going to work. So using the AI to create these segments, to create recommendations, to figure out the timing or the, or the method of communication is going to cut down the frustration in your database is going to make your data a lot more valuable and each individual is going to be a lot, lot more likely to convert in the long run. So this this is kind of crazy um, stuff and it, it, it seems futuristic to a lot of people purely because a lot of CRM products don't do this stuff. But it's something we've been doing for a couple of years now and Blue Shift's been doing for even longer in the retail space. And that's one of the reasons we partnered with Blue Shift when we created our fuel AI-powered CRM is we wanted to have technology that really pushed the envelope in terms of how to market to people using the power of AI. And as Josh kind of alluded to with the data, the, the results are there. There's proof in the pudding, if you, were, if you will, because this is actually driving more heads in beds by implementing these yeah, and, and the interesting thing as well, Stuart, is a lot of people, when you say AI, it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't understand. It's going to be hard. I don't know if we can do it. And that's the value of AI. Actually, it's it's easy. It's easy to do. The AI does all the work for you. Like, literally, these these things that I mentioned are checkboxes, mm-hmm. you know, point-and-click solutions. that We made it so easy for marketers to do this. 
because the AI does all the hard work in the background. Yeah. And you don't need to like worry about it. And so we've seen, you know, marketers literally to see a 35% lift in revenue by checking a box. Yeah. Well, mean, simpler than that. Well, here's Josh, this is where I got to disagree with you because the hardest thing is convincing yourself that the AI is smarter. So yeah. <laughs> we're using the uh, the AI side for one of our hotel clients who has several golf courses. And we have a, a remarketing type anniversary campaign where if you haven't booked a round of golf in so many days or weeks, we send you a list of golf courses that we would recommend you play based on your play history, but then also what other golfers who played courses that you played also played if that makes sense. And the very first thing that we wanted to do was break that system and say, well, let's say we want to focus on this course instead, thinking that we were actually smarter than the analytics. Mm -hmm. And that comes with some client pushback as well, where they want to focus on a specific golf course. And I think to the credit of the, the blue shift support team, they're like, just give it time. Let the AI understand who your customers are and their booking behaviors, and then get your hands out of it. Stop, messing with the system and once we did that it's been running and we don't manage it very often it kind of runs on its own as the ai grows but the hardest thing was not having to do something that's right <laughs> that's right so I, th- I think that's, that's the hardest point. part of ai <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's a good point yeah and i also i really like how you you said at the beginning, your definition of AI is one of the the most simplistic definitions in terms of how we're using it right now, because it is this kind of big nebulous thing that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But when you, when you put it as plainly as saying it's, it's helping you predict the future based on data in the past, that's essentially what we're doing. We're letting the machine learning component of this crunch the numbers and go through thousands and thousands and thousands of data points in saying here are patterns and if we recognize these patterns again and again with people that look like this or behave like this we make the inference that people that act like this or behave like this in the future are going to continue on the same path or a similar path so let's nudge them in that direction that's that's what we're doing right here we're using data from the past to predict the future and it's really 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 effective so let's jump on to number three, three, number three, expand your triggered campaigns. Yeah. And Stuart, you were mentioning just a few minutes ago how, you know, Google and Gmail specifically, they, they care very much about um, experience and they want to make sure that the volume, the emails you're sending to to your customers are relevant. And they judge that by different things like click through rates and open rates and, and those types of things. And if you just start, Blatching and blasting everyone, something that's kind of non-relevant, non-interesting. Uh, you know, Google and others are going to take exception to that, and you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. And so, one one area that that you know a lot of marketers don't leverage, don't leverage beyond maybe the standard is these is triggered campaigns. And triggered campaigns, in the simplest definition, are based off of real-time events that happen um, to the user. And and you know, in the travel world. There's a litany of trigger events that happen all the way through the travel arc, right? From browsing events like abandoned card or I favorited a hotel or I wrote a review um, to purchase events like confirmation, pre-trip and check-in. 
There's also intra-trip events, like, you know, when you're on, you know, here's your itinerary, here's your upcoming weather for your stay, here's some coupons for restaurants near where you're staying, and then there's post-purchase events. So throughout the trial travel arc, there's a lot of events happening. And, you know, if you can capitalize on those events and email mobile push, they have very, very high open rates and high engagement because they're, they're relevant to the user, right? They, they're helping the user make a decision. They're relevant to what they're just doing um, and you can use those to really leverage, um, you know, cross sales, post sales and other things that maybe are not directly related to that, that fire the event, but can actually help um, drive some more opportunities for, for your hotel or for, for your business um, because someone is so engaged with the, with the message that you're actually sending to them. And so we encourage and seeing a lot of benefit when you're doing trigger campaigns versus like, you know, push bat, batch and blast type campaigns the response rates are so much better, like to a magnitude better. And so we encourage people to like look hard and say, what other trigger campaigns can you do? When I was at Lending Tree, we, we expanded our trigger campaigns 10X during my time because we just saw so many other opportunities to do there. And one of the best ones we did was, you know, hey, your home value just dropped. Well, you'd think that someone wouldn't really open that email, but actually they opened that email more than the email about your home value increased. People actually were more concerned about their home value dropping than their home value increasing. So they wanted to know what was happening. And, you know, we never thought about that. We only showed, we, before we only showed them, hey, your home value is increased. Isn't that good news? Like, oh, no one wants to know when your home values drop. Well, in reality, actually, people really do want to know when their home values dropped. And so we would share that with them. And then they came in and they were able to cross sell on different options, uh, different loaner products. And the same thing can happen in a lot of different companies and specifically travel companies. Yeah, we've seen a ton of success with triggered campaigns as well from the anniversary where we send a message out 30 days prior to their booking anniversary to one that I found was really exciting was we had one particular client who was getting about two to two and a half reviews on average per day across their entire brand of hotels. And they were trying to increase their reviews. We were sending a triggered email already to solicit reviews. But what we did is we integrated the SMS component to send a text message asking for a re review as well. And from the date we launched that SMS campaign in conjunction with the email, depending on what the guest engaged with the most, we were able to increase it from a 2.6% or 2.6 surveys completed per day up to 4.9, sometimes 5, 5 surveys completed per day. So we were able to double the amount of reviews that they generated simply by understanding, hey, wait a minute, a triggered SMS works better than a triggered email and giving the guest an idea of which one's going to engage with them the best. It, it made all the difference in the world. So I think if a hotelier is not all in on these triggered campaigns, they really need to spend some time while they're in quarantine really thinking about how they can put that to the best work. Yeah, and I think as you're thinking through that, one of the important things to consider is that the consumer expectation is going to change depending on where they are in the travel journey. And, and Josh kind of already alluded to there being different phases, but the the person that's shopping and looking for a, for a hotel, you know, you, there's a certain cadence at which you can hit them with emails and offers and incentives and reminders and things like that. But once they've booked, 
there's a ton of opportunity to send them multiple emails with different information about their stay. The rules of engagement fundamentally change once they've made the booking. And then after this, during or after the stay, there's a bunch of different triggers you can, you can consider. So really think about every data point you have on the guest, every event that happens from, from booking to check-in to check-out to leaving a review to when they first start researching and start thinking about what information would be valuable to them at some time period before or after that event and start writing a list of all of these. And what you'll find is the, the, the fallacy that you have to hit a, the whole database a certain number of times, like a lot of people will send a blast to their entire database once a week and say, I want to hit everyone at least you know 50 times a year or whatever it is. Well, you don't have to do that in such an archaic way. You can you can actually send emails or SMS or push notifications to each individual a lot more frequently if it's personalized and if it's relevant to them. So if you map out every touch point based on the whole consumer journey and say, here's a trigger or multiple triggers at each one of these events, what you'll find is you can actually be in communication and stay top of mind with that guest throughout the entire year multiple times and they're going to engage a lot better. And then your, your, the rest of your database where people aren't actually booking, aren't actually researching, you can change the messaging going to that group of people to try to rehabilitate them to become guests. It's, it's a different mindset. It's something that a lot of people aren't used to. But it, it's it's once you get over the hump of, hey, I'm going to send a thousand different individual emails versus I'm going to send one email to a thousand people, and, and you set it up and it's automated, it's actually less work in the long term once it's all set up because it just runs and you can monitor its effectiveness, but you don't have to keep coming up with new campaigns every day like you do currently. I think that you just kind of hit the nail on the head for that, Stuart. I think people can get overwhelmed with just the thought of having to come up with this whole system, but really once it's done, it's so much less work than having to come up with campaign after campaign after campaign after campaign on and and ineffective ones. Yeah. And and you shift your mindset from this, what's the next message I can send out to the whole database to how can I optimize the the triggers and the drip campaigns that are already set up? And as you like to say, Melissa, always be testing. You can be testing these and you can start doing a B tests on some of these funnels and say, okay, what's working better? Or, or even let the AI kind of figure that out for you. But you become more effective through an iterative process of improvement versus just this spray and pray mentality that so many are stuck to. I had, I had a conversation earlier today with a client and the question they posed to me, because we, we're kind of pushing back on them related to send volume. They, they want to get really aggressive with their, their sends. And in the past, when they've done that, when they've sent multiple times in a week, uh, they see an impact on their de deliverability and they get frustrated. And one of the questions that they posed today was, well, how come I get an email every day from certain brands? So if we unpack that a little bit, well, one, it's probably not a hotel brand, but two, it's someone providing value. So if I look at my inbox and say, okay, who am I getting multiple emails from? And I'm okay with that. It's folks like Amazon because they're someone that is highly relevant to my life, that I'm interacting with frequently, and that I'm expecting to receive messages from because I want to know when my package is going to arrive. I want to know what recommendations they have for me but based on previous activity, or I want to be reminded, oh, I didn't buy that um, those hair clippers because my wife keeps nagging me that I need to cut my hair as I'm 
probably four weeks overdue for a haircut right now. So Amazon has a different relationship with me right now, and it's more personalized. It's, it's about me and what I get out of Amazon. And if you can shift your email strategy to that with your guest, you can hit them more frequently. But guess what? They're going to respond because you're providing them value that's going to help them, and they're going to be more likely to book and stay with you and stay loyal with you. All righty. It's final one. You got yeah, to bring us home here, Josh. Number four, 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 four. Tightening your paid media audiences. Yeah, this one's always an interesting one. Um, you know, being being doing paid media for oh man, a couple of decades, and and seeing that you know it's there's about thirty to forty percent of pretty much everyone's paid media budget is probably hitting the wrong people at the wrong time, and you're essentially wasting some of your your money. And so how do we, and obviously the media publishers are great with this, that they're fine with that because they make a lot of their ad revenue on sloppy campaigns. And so how do we flip the switch a little bit and give marketers the upper hand uh, advantage here? And that's where, you know, using your customer data and AI can really help you write that ship and not only reduce your spend, but also increase your results all at the same time. And so, you know, when I talked earlier about a predictive AI and predictive segmentation, you know, we per I personally use this in a few different um, in lending tree and others where we would identify who's the most likely to uh, have some event occurring that we want. And not, it doesn't always necessarily mean to be a revenue generating event, but obviously that's generally what paid media is focused on in, in the near future. And we would bid up on those audiences across Facebook and Google and other places. And then the opposite would happen too. people that would come in and had a very low likelihood of converting we would bid down or turn off that audience and use it as a negative suppression. And when we did this at LendingTree, we saw something interesting. LendingTree is a unique case where there's, you know, Google search generally has high intent, and that's generally good for a lot of companies. Um, but when you're a lone aggregator like LendingTree is, you, you care about intent, but you also care about quality and making sure that person is actually able to qualify for a loan because if you start sending a lot of people over and and they don't they don't uh, they don't meet the credit standards or the quality standards from the lenders. They're not going to essentially uh, provide them loan offers. And so what we noticed for for personal loan uh, keywords, we get a lot of intent. They come in, they go through the whole form flow, and then they would get no offers. And then that person would go right back to Google, search again, click on our ad again, and do it again, and do it again. And they would do it ten times. Mm -hmm. And we knew the first wow. time they weren't going to get an offer. But we paid for them 10 times. And so we're thinking, you know, shame on us. <laughs> we're, we're paying for this customer over and over and over again. And there's no chance they're going to get any offers. And so we started to be smarter about that and said, okay, you know, let's use AI to really start suppressing people that are just window browsing, window shopping, and aren't really ready to take the actual next step. And that immediately increased our ROI, right? When we focused on people that were actually going to make a move and actually going to make a purchase. Now, obviously, that, that cohort of people changes every day. Um, you're able to really influence your paid media by focusing on the people that have high intent and reducing your spend or eliminating your spend on the ones that have low intent. Uh, you can really just drive up your ROI uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, and so you know this, this kind of correlates. It's the other side of the coin from the first point. So we started this conversation by talking about aggregating your data into a single silo where, where it all exists in one place and that you can leverage it. And most people think of their CRM as just you know, email. And we've already expanded upon that today and talked about how you can use that same 
con that same data to reach out to folks in other ways. You can do it through SMS. You can do it through push notifications, through in-app messaging. A lot of different ways that you can do outbound communication to people. But what most people are not doing with their CRM and what we love to do here and what the BlueShift platform allows our AI-powered CRM to do is to, to take the data and use it with all of our marketing initiatives. So that might be in the form of using an audience segment to push out as a custom audience to Facebook or as a remarketing list for search ads to Google. So anywhere that we're running advertising, we can leverage the data, create a custom audience as either a targeted list or like Josh said, a suppression list to make our, our targeting just a little more precise. And even if you incrementally improve the performance of, of your advertising, say say you, you, you make your spend 10% more efficient, think about the impact that has to your bottom line. Because you're already spending the money. If it's now generating 10% more in ROI, then that, that's money straight to your bottom line. And, and it's reaching an audience that maybe you weren't going to get previously as well. So this, this is one of the most powerful features in the system. But it, it's something that most people are, are not doing primarily because their CRMs don't allow it. It's either very manual or it just doesn't exist. And this is very automated the way we have it set up. Yeah, and you bring up the manual part. That's what we hear all the time, right? Like generally people that want to do custom audiences in Facebook will, you know, reach out to someone on, uh, you know, their data team and say, hey, I need a CSV file with this information it goes into some sort of Jira queue. It comes out two or three weeks later. Here's your file. They upload it, and they don't talk again for six months. And that's just not the right way to do it. And, and it's just because they don't have the access to the data. They don't know how to do it. They, they can't hit the databases directly. And so having everything in one place inside of a platform that allows marketers to go in and really just to point and click and say, this is the segment I want. And then all you need to do is push a button, say, sync this with Facebook at this frequency, and the segment automatically gets updated based on the rules you put in it. It's like life changing for so many marketers. And we've heard that time and time again. They're like, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't realize how easy it could be. And, yeah, and, this market yeah. right here. I love that. That's the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. And it's effective. I think that's the most important part of it. So so there you go. Those are, those are four tips from the expert, Josh. He's been around. He knows a thing or two about a thing or two. He's been at Priceline. He's been at LendingTree. He's now at BlueShift, our partner. So if you're interested in learning more about how you can execute some of this stuff um, with, with Fuel's product and BlueShift's product or with your own CRM, we're happy to help. And you can just email us, info at fueltravel.com to get more information on that. So great stuff. Josh, we'd love to have you back on the show at some point if uh, – if your time permits, I know, I know you probably got a busy schedule with the kiddos uh, all at home, but we'd love to have you back on the show at some point. Great. No, thank you so much. Really appreciate the conversation, guys. Yeah. And uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, where can they find you online? We're going to link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, but do you have a, yeah. any kind of public LinkedIn. social media? Just LinkedIn's probably the best place. I post quite a bit of stuff there, and I wrote a few articles there as well. So uh, LinkedIn's probably the best place to connect. Gotcha. So we'll link to that in the show notes, which will be at fueltravel.com slash podcast, and click on episode 147. Um, so great job, Josh. Uh, Pete, I was thinking yes. the other day, you've got a lot of time on your hands right now. I do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're at home, right? You have the weekends <laughs> where you're not doing 
anything but pottering around the house. So I, I think it's probably about the right time that you bring back some bees. I, I know our audience has been demanding it for quite some time. Yeah, I, I've heard of a couple of people asking me for bees, mainly uh, my neighbors asking for, for more honey that I can't provide anymore. So mm-hmm. it's a... It's been thought about and discussed, but I don't know when it's coming back. I want to keep everybody guessing. Okay. Well, don't don't keep us guessing too too long because, I mean, there's a segment of our audience that only listens for B News updates, and yeah. they've, they've been very disappointed for quite some time. I know. They're, everyone's apiary skills are dropping every day, right? I know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Melissa, how's Aurora doing? Aurora is sleeping soundly right now, living straight up to her name. Yeah. For those you don't know, Melissa just, just got a new rescue dog that if you listen to last week's episode, uh, you could hear snoring in the background. I didn't hear her today. No, she's sleeping quietly at the moment. Awesome. awesome. Phil, how's the brewing going? Any any Anything new coming along in the pipeline? I am waiting on a new shipment. I have already finished all my quarantine brew and it's time for a new one. <laughs> Nice. So not finished brewing it, you finished drinking it? Is that oh, what yeah. Saying? Yeah, right. completely wiped out that last stash. Now it's time for a new one. Gotcha. All right, guys. Well, Pete, if they want to find you and chat with you about bee stuff, where can they do that? Check me out on Twitter at PDiMeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And Melissa? I am on Twitter at M-A-Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Phil? You can find me on Twitter at pforiska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. You can find me at Stuart Butler. You can also find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Again, if you have any questions for us or if there's content you want to see us produce on the show or on our website, then just email us, info at fueltravel.com. And don't forget to check out the resources page that we pushed out. We've got a ton of great information there, including our recent sentiment study that we touched on last episode so that's at fueltravel.com slash resources it's a plethora of stuff there to help you in your recovery and that's what we're going to be focused on here with content over the next couple of weeks is how do you go from survival mode to recovery mode and how do you not just survive but thrive on the other side of this pandemic so look for more content from us if you have any ideas for what you'd like to see on the show again info at fueltravel.com And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I did not hear any funny ending and I was so disappointed.